you weren't here last week, we started a church-wide series on paradox. And we as a staff have been talking about paradox for at least a few months now. And when the schedule first came out, I saw that Ken was going to be here last week, start the series, and then we were going to take a break, and then he'd be here for the next three weeks to finish it. And um, he is gone this week. He's on a trip with his oldest daughter, Mary Joy, before she goes into middle school. Because apparently you need to take like a few days of mental preparation before you spend time with a youth pastor. That just needs... Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I had written something on a couple of weeks before on a day of solitude out of Habakkuk chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can start turning there right now. It might take us all morning just to find it. That is in the crisp section of your Bible. Those are the white pages, all right? Um, I had written something on a day of solitude out of Habakkuk 3... Uh, and it's because I'm a youth pastor, it just manifested itself into terms of a sermon. And I titled it, The Unlikely Combination of Worship and Tears. And then I saw this paradox series and what we were going over, faith and that, the outworking of faith. And I thought, a better title for that is A Paradox of Worship, Worship and Tears. And I wrote Ken an email and I said, hey, I know we're taking a break. I have something written. I don't know if you'd be interested. Uh, I, could, I could basically preach my message on a Sunday morning. And he wrote me back and said, that'd be awesome. And I thought, yes, I get to preach on a Sunday. And then immediately I thought, oh, no, I get to preach on a Sunday. Um, that's terrifying, right? Like, this is scary. So... Um, I have way more material than I have time, so we are just going to jump into it. If you have your Bible, open it up to Habakkuk chapter 3, and we're going to be just three verses today, verse 17, 18, and 19. If you would, just stand with me as we read the scripture. Habakkuk 3, 17, 18, and 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Father, we thank you uh, for an opportunity as a group of Christians to come together this morning and open your word. May we treat it with the respect that it deserves, Lord. Father, I pray that you overcome my personal inabilities as a speaker and as a person and that your word is preached today. Uh, I want to pray for the other church services that are happening in Bend, our friends that at Compass and Westside and all of the churches around our city, Lord, I pray that we are not so short-sighted that we believe you could only work here. Would you be at work in those places and may your kingdom be proclaimed in Bend, Oregon this morning. We thank you for your revelation of yourself to us in the Bible. Uh, may we read it diligently. In the name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. Now, uh, we are jumping into a book uh, that we haven't been in, and more than that, one that even most church people probably don't have a really strong grasp on Habakkuk. I know what you're thinking, you're like, really, youth pastor, like your first Sunday, couldn't you pick something out of John, like some I am statement or something, you know? No, Habakkuk, let's go there. Um, so 
I'm going to try and backfill just really briefly some historical history um, and then what has happened in the first three chapters of Habakkuk that bring us to our text this morning. Um, Habakkuk writes in about early 600, about 609, 605. There's not a whole lot known about Habakkuk. Uh, So 600s BC, early 600s. Uh, He's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, so we kind of have some guesswork as to who he is. Uh, He's a contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah, if that helps. And that time in history, for the nation of Israel, they have been under occupation for over 100 years. Assyria came in in 722 BC, right? So if he writes early 600s, this is over 100 years of occupation from a foreign country. He's frustrated. Habakkuk is hurting as a prophet of the Lord, and that is where his book begins. Um, it is a fascinating book. I encourage you to read the whole thing this week if you have time. Uh, Any time that someone talks to God and he talks back, I find that just utterly amazing. So you can read it, um, and it's worth your read. Um, he starts, and it's a dialogue, and Habakkuk airs his complaint. Why are you letting these people occupy us? Habakkuk 1, 2 through 4. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Right? Thieves get rich and saints get shot. What's going on here? God, he wrote a long time ago, it's in different terms than how we would have said it today. It's a question you've all asked or heard. Why do bad things happen to good people? That's not fair, God. Do you see this? The wicked surround the righteous. Are Are you paying attention, God? Do you know what's happening here? And God responds in one of the great satirical passages of the Bible. Verse 5, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing work in your days you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Uh, You think Syria's bad, Habakkuk? Babylon's coming. Uh, Babylon invades in 597. So if this is in about 609 to 605, this is on the horizon. They're coming. It's going to be worse, Habakkuk. What do you mean bad things happening to good people? It hasn't even started to get bad yet. Buckle up. And Habakkuk writes back. And this time, instead of trying to appeal to the nation of Israel's holiness, he flips the script. He appeals to God's holiness. That's a good move. Are you, verse 12 of Habakkuk 1, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? God, aren't you holy? How are you allowing this to happen? This isn't fair. And God responds, and uh, in Habakkuk 2.4, it's the hinge that this whole conversation, the door of this conversation swings on. It's quoted again in Romans 1.17. Habakkuk, the righteous live by faith. Here's your answer to why bad things happen to good people. Do you have faith? Right? Great political response. Answer a question with a question. The righteous live by faith, Habakkuk. And I'm using Babylon to punish Israel, but they'll get their just deserves. Do you have faith? Do you trust me? 
to say, take care of this. It doesn't seem right now, right? You're really frustrated, but do you have faith? And that is the foundation, the background that leads to our text this morning. Habakkuk wrestling with faith. Uh, the text is almost split right down the middle in tone and content. It begins really sad. Um, I've called it the reality of despair. Verse 17 of Habakkuk 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls. He is reaching up for rock bottom. I got nothing. Now again, 2,600 years ago. So he probably writes in different terms than you and I think. If you wrote today, it probably wouldn't be about farms and cattle. It would be about foreclosures and lost cars. Right? Like, does that ring a little bit closer to home in central Oregon? About owing more than it's worth. I'm in trouble. This is despair. About job loss, empty wombs, broken families, unmet expectations, imperfect spouses. When doctors use the word cancer, red numbers in bank accounts, divorce, death, take your pick. I am in utter despair. I have nothing. I don't even have food. There's, there's nothing left, God. Where are you? Are you paying attention? Do you remember your people? Because I feel like I'm forgotten right now. What do you do with that when you have despair? When your kids don't respect you? Send them to youth group. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. Um, right? <laughs> I'll take care of it. Just kidding. Kind of. Um, he paints this picture of nothing. I've got nothing. I can't even sustain life. The necessity of keeping on breathing is eluding me. And this reality of despair takes a 180 degree turn as we get to verse 18, as the reality of despair meets the resiliency of praise. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. In the face of immense hurt, Habakkuk turns around and praises God. What? <laughs> right? Like, that's the paradox. This is, those two things seem to be at, odd with, at odds with each other. You don't, you don't cry and praise. What's wrong with you? You know what you're asking? You want me in the midst of my greatest church to turn around and praise God? Let me illustrate this out of a story in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I read this text in Habakkuk and you feel like somebody different wrote verse 18 from verse 17. Like Habakkuk, do you remember what you just said? Like this is just all very messed up. Um, in 1 Samuel, this takes place in the time of the Judges. If you know your Bible, the book of Judges ends with the verse, In those days in Israel there was no king. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Anarchy. It was just utter chaos. All over the place, man. Israel's messed up. And onto that scene steps a family. 
The husband's name is Elkanah, and he has two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina has children, Hannah does not. We have a stark contrast between the haves and the have-nots. And every year, Elkanah takes his family, kids and lack thereof, to the city of worship to praise God. And every year, this highlights to Hannah the fact that she has gone another calendar without having children. To make matters worse, the text says her rival provoked her. I love that. Uh, her rival, Penina, the other wife, would remind her, hey, remember how you don't have kids? You, right? Do you need to take that point of shame and embarrassment? And just let me apply pressure to that. Stab and twist, okay? And this is the story that we come across in 1 Samuel 1. They're at the city to worship, and in 1 Samuel 1, verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to me. wrong here. The NIV in verse 10 says, uh, in bitterness of the soul, Hannah wept and prayed much. <laughs> right? <sighs> that seems weird. If you ask somebody, tell me what your first thought is when I say the word prayer, it, will, it is not on the family feud top 100 list. Bitterness is not on there, right? Like survey says, no. <laughs> Bitterness, huh? That doesn't, bitterness and prayer? I don't, I don't get that. That's a, that's a paradox. Those two things don't seem to go together. Why would you annually come back to this place still without any kids and pray? Why, why would you do that? Why would you pour out your soul before the Lord? This doesn't make any sense. This is, weird can we do that do we do that do we stare our greatest hurts in the face and through tears praise God now, I have a problem um, as I was going through this uh, and this is a personal observation you can feel free to disagree with me um, but 
I've, I've actually thought about this for a while. I've, I've been on this uh, sermon for probably three or four years. It took me to write this. It should probably be better than it is. Um, I think that we, as American Christians, would affirm what I've said so far. That we would agree, yes, I can worship God in my hurt. And we claim this ideology. I, I, I affirm this on an intellectual plane. But our lives don't practically reflect that truth. It doesn't look like that. I say it's true. But it doesn't change how, how I worship or how I deal with hurt. Biblically speaking, to uh, hear and to not change is not to have hurt at all. We, did we really believe that? Do we? Um, when I was a junior in high school, I was a young, budding theologian, and I was also learning music. I started off college as a music major, and, and I wanted to do that in a church. And... I was trying to learn how to do this as a 16-year-old, trying to figure out what does music and worship look like, because those two things seem to often go together. And um, so I decided I would go to where my culture was telling me, right? Hillsong Mighty to Save album. I don't know if you know, that's when that came out. Um, and depending on what you remember about that album, it was recorded live in a stadium full of people. And it, there's a DVD with it. I watched it over and over again trying to figure out how to worship and lead people to God. I walked away with the conclusion that worship is a stadium full of people and the apex of spiritual euphoria with their eyes closed and hands raised, meeting God. Spine's tingly and it's all good, right? Now, please hear me clearly. Um, this is not a jab at Hillsong. Uh, there's a lot of really great songs on that album. Uh, this is uh, a jab at Christian culture in a broader sense. Oscar Wilde said that a uh, gentleman would never offend someone on accident. It's not an accident. Um, it's going to be very purposeful. So, sorry, maybe. Um, you can worship in a stadium full of people. Absolutely. The problem was, that was the only paradigm that my Christian subculture presented. That was it. I have one side of the coin. I didn't get anything else. Um, what happens is that we come together on a Sunday morning and church ends up resembling a country club more than anything else. We all sit around in our matching sweaters and I'm fine and you're fine. Aren't, aren't we glad we're all fine? We keep the bad out here and this is, where, this is church. This is the good, this is, we're good here, right? We have you. It's Sunday morning. It's time, to, it's time to pretend like it's okay. That looks nothing like this. The bitterness of the soul. John 15, 18, right? Take care. If the world hates you, it hated me first. That's our Savior. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is all. Every single one, that's not apostles or pastors, everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus. Here's the issue. We are at odds with this world. And it's going to be hard. This isn't peace, it's the sword. And church should resemble a battlefield medical station. We're beat up. 
It's not all good. This is bad. It's hurting. This is an episode of MASH. I call Hawkeye. Right? Like, this is hard. The world is my enemy, and I go out there, and it beats me up. And yet Sunday morning doesn't look like it. We come in, and we have, it's time to be happy. It's church time, right? And people walk in with hurt, and they feel like they're the only before in a room full of afters. It's, everybody else has got it together, and I don't know what I'm doing. I'm hurting. Maybe I don't get this. And I know we sing, blessed be your name, and that's out of Job chapter 1. But we put it to such a happy melody. You guys know that? Blessed. It's like, do you know what that is? Job is sitting with torn clothes and a shaved head with fresh graves dug for his children. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is a dirge. Even the sad songs we make feel happy. We don't acknowledge tears. Hannah would never be able to share her story until Samuel's born, right? We don't want to talk about the hurt until we have the completion of redemption. Oh, it's okay now, so we're good to go. Um, I'm sorry, you can't, no, uh, bitterness of the soul, that's, you can't talk. This is uplifting and encouraging, Caleb, right? There's nothing positive or encouraging about it. Is there no place for that? God's people are still people. This is painful. And we are at odds with this world. And we are called to take that hurt and to praise him in the midst of it. Not pretend like it doesn't exist. Thank you. Is there no place on a Sunday morning for tears? Do we have those avenues? Do we encourage that? Do our lives show that? Now, as I was going through this, I'm a very logical person, and I had a problem with all of this. I have a logical question. Why? You are suggesting to me that you believe in an omniscient, he knows everything God, an omnipotent God who can fix everything and doesn't. So you tell me, why would I praise him in the midst of my hurt? Right? He could fix my issues. He could take away all of the red numbers in the bank account. Job's sitting on the ashes of what once was his life, and God could fix it. And you want me to praise him? Why? Why in the world would I do that? I can answer that with one verse, one word. The verse is Hebrews 11.1. 1. The word is hope. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. As a believer, you have hope and beyond thee now. Therefore, your hope and what is to come gives purpose to the suffering and the immediate. That changes things. That means right now, I mean, it hurts, but, but I, I have eternity. 
I have a forever perfect high priest, right? This is Hebrews. Right of Hebrews, a few chapters earlier, calls hope an anchor of the soul, sure and steadfast. Doesn't matter what waves of this life throw at me. It still hurts, absolutely. But I have hope beyond that. I had a joke in high school that I can do all things through God who gives me strength to take verses out of context. This is the context. This is what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4. I have learned the secret to being content in all situations. I'm not worried about that. Yeah, it hurts right now, but, but do you know what kind of hope I have? Do you know what kind of Savior I believe in? It's better than this. And if you don't think Paul had some hardship, I invite you to read 2 Corinthians 11. Every time he shows up, they're picking up stones to throw at him or hitting him with whips or beating him with rods. Ships are sinking underneath him. He doesn't have food. He doesn't have clothes. This is the guy who says, I can be content. I'm content. I'm, I have hope, right? Hope gives suffering a purpose. The beauty of being a Christian is that the tragedy of the immediate does not block the view of the eternal. Let's say that again. The beauty of being a Christian is that the tragedy of the immediate does not block the view of the eternal. Whatever this world can throw at you, and it can throw, right? We've all been there. Hurt. But as a Christian, my hope transcends that hurt because my hope is in Christ. That is beyond the pain that I have right now, that doesn't mean I don't have pain. I do. But through those tears, that's why Hannah can pray after another empty womb. That's why Job sits there watching all of his barns burn, his possessions are gone, and his children are dead. And he says, blessed is the name of the Lord. Think Abraham didn't ever have some frustration in the quarter of a century that he waited for his son? Are we not allowed to talk about it until the sun? I know that's just a few chapters in here, but to him it was 25 years. Joseph was in prison or a slave for 13 years. Well, we'll just, we'll just wait until it fixes itself and we'll talk about it then. Cry. We should cry and praise God through the immense hurt that this life deals us. When I was a senior in college, um, I ran across hurt. Uh, I had a great family, I had a, a really good childhood, and I'd never really experienced pain, um, a deep emotional pain, until uh, college. And after it happened, it felt like for two or three years, I couldn't win one. It just, old wounds just kept getting ripped open. And I was hurting. And... I, as I often did in Chicago, I, I went to school in downtown Chicago. Um, I walked without a destination. You guys ever, you ever been there? You're just like, I don't, I don't even care. I'm just, I'm just walking around. Not all who wander are lost. I was lost and I was wandering, okay? Just walking around. I was hurting. I was crying out of the hurt that this world has dealt me. And we are going to have hurt, Right? We are all saddled with the burden of giving and receiving imperfect love. That's going to bring hurt. 
And I was hurting. I'm crying to myself. And like it only can in one of these situations, it starts pouring down rain. Um, this is out of a movie. The soundtrack would have probably been something off of Dell's 21 album, okay? I'm walking around, tears, and I'm a verbal person, so I am airing my frustrations in prayers to God of my hurt. Why? And I wasn't suicidal by any means. But I prayed and asked God to take me home. Did you just rapture me? Because I'm, I'm done. I'm really hurting right now. And I'm ready, ready to be done with this. This is painful. Can you take me home, please? And then I start laughing, right? Because that's the natural response. Now, anybody around me is absolutely sure that I'm clinically insane. This guy is praying out loud to himself in the pouring rain, crying, and then now laughing. Um, I start laughing because I had read earlier in that week in a book by A.W. Tozer that worship is anything that elevates the mind and takes the soul to a near state of rapture. I'm going to say it again. Worship is anything that elevates the mind and takes the soul to a near state of rapture. I laughed because I'm worshiping better in that moment than I had in months. And it wasn't anywhere near a stadium full of people. Again, not that a stadium of people can't worship. I think Revelation might have some things to say about that. But I was on my own. And there were tears in my eyes and I was worshiping God. And that paradox came alive. This isn't, these things aren't at odds with each other. This is part of the Christian life. We are at odds with the world, therefore it's going to hurt. And I have hope beyond the now and I am going to praise. Welcome to being a Christian. It's a wonderful thing. I can only assume that if you are here today and, and you're not a believer that I sound absolutely crazy. Um, I understand that. I wouldn't expect that or anything else. It, it should sound crazy. If you don't have hope in Christ, this is just ludicrous. This makes no sense. But for those of us here who have placed our faith in our Savior, this changes everything. This means that even though it's in Habakkuk, one of the small ones, this is a major theme in the Bible. This transcends New Testament, Old Testament. This is us, friends. Church, this is us. We are hurting. That is a good thing. That means you're, you are at odds with this world. That means you know that this world is your enemy. And it's going to deal you hardships. And we're going to cry. And we should be able to cry together. And when those tears come, we cry and we praise God still. For a Christian, the worst tragedy that this earth can conjure up can do nothing to diminish the hope we have in Christ. This allows us to live a paradox of worship and tears. Father, I thank you again for a chance to open your word. May we as a church, as a local body, Antioch, embody this. We never be afraid of hardship and tears because of the hope that we have in you. Lord, I thank you for the believers here, Lord. The people willing to give time 
of their Sunday morning to come and worship. To worship through hardship and pain and tears. May our suffering be like yours, purposeful. Thank you for our continued breath. And blessed be the tie, the tie that binds us in Christian love. In the name we pray.